Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Hi, Hills Church. You guys doing good? I love it. I hope you all are fat and happy after the Thanksgiving weekend. I put on my uh, traditional five pounds this week and I'm not mad about it at all. It was amazing until yesterday. I was in Atlanta at my in-laws. We had a great time, but then I had to go to the Atlanta airport. And I promise you, and I kid you not, I was in the security line for an hour and 20 minutes. And so I'm gonna have to preach myself saved again today, however that works, because it, it tested every last ounce of my character and my salvation uh, in Jesus Christ. But I hope you're doing good. Hey, listen, we're on house money today. The Niners have already played and they took care of business. So we can all just relax and be present in the moment. It was a beautiful game that we got to watch. Uh, I'll try and quit talking about sports, but you guys who have been here for a while know me and I love talking about Jesus, sports and food. And so somehow, someway I'm doing that every service. I do want to do this before we get started, just because this is uh, always where I draw my confidence in getting the privilege of preaching the gospel. Can we just uh, pray to Jesus for a minute and just ask that through my humanness and even some of my brokenness that because of his perfect word that we would all walk out of these doors better than we walk in. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just come before you as one of your children and I just always want to shout from the rooftops what a privilege it is to get to preach your gospel. And it's because of what you did, Jesus. It's because of the work that you finished, not just your death, but in your resurrection. And I pray that that resurrection power that we just sang about wouldn't just be nice lyrics on a song, but it would be something we experience this holiday season. Jesus, for everyone walking through our doors or listening online that's hurting or wounded or in some pain right now or going through some traumatic experiences, I pray that the peace of past passes understanding would just be so evident in this place. And by the time we leave here, God, that our faith has been challenged and stirred up. God, we depend on you through the power of your Holy Spirit to make this happen. So all we pray and ask, we ask in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So I'm gonna start with a question. It is a question uh, based on something we all probably learned in elementary school. And the question is this, what is the most important meal of the day? Breakfast, right? To which when I got asked that in elementary school, I said, I disagree. I think whatever meal's next is the most important meal of the day because I love me some food. But breakfast, we've always been taught, whether it's true or not, all of the scientists and doctors and nutritionists, uh, they've all agreed that breakfast is the most important meal. They really give kind of three fundamental reasons. The first one is this, is it just flat out gets the motor running, right? That good old pesky thing called the metabolism. There's something about starting your day by putting some fuel in your body that tells the metabolism to start working. The second reason is, is it leads to way better mental awareness um, as you start your day at work or you start your day at school. Uh, every semester we get a email from our kids' teachers just very kindly asking if at all possible that our kids would come to school fed because they know that's going to be a, nobody wants a bunch of hangry uh, third graders, you know what I'm saying? And so I get that. And then the third thing they say is this, and this is a big one, uh, it helps stave off late morning cravings and overeating at lunch, which I need help on. So that's important. But uh, I would like, although I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist, I would like to add a fourth principle to that because it, in my opinion, is extremely scientific. And it is this, breakfast is amazing, 
right? Think of what breakfast has contributed to our lives. Eggs, hash browns, French toast, thank you, Jesus, waffles, Pop-Tarts, yeah, I'll eat Pop-Tarts. Here's one, when I married my wife from Alabama, I got introduced to, and it's changed my life, biscuits and gravy, anybody in here? Come on. For you, uh, for you more sophisticated people in the room, the crepe, the bagel, the omelet, a good old fresh fruit bowl, uh, and now I'm getting good. I'm saving the best ones for last. The donut. Thank you, Jesus. Like, are you kidding me? Bread just full of sugar and flavor. The donut, and then I'll add this one last or second to last. Bacon. Yeah. Just don't boo bacon. It's cleared. We're in the New Testament now. It's completely appropriate, and I eat tons of it. And then last but not least, this one's almost too much to talk about, but several years ago when I was living in Denver, Colorado, there's this famous donut shop called Voodoo Donuts, and I went there, and my favorite donut is a maple long john bar. And I went there, and I asked for one, and the guy says, I'll do you one better. We have a maple long john bar with a, a, a stick of bacon on it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, give me a minute. I wasn't, you know, and I picture like, this is just my corrupt mind, but I picture Jesus in heaven. The first time someone said, I think we're going to slap some bacon on a maple donut bar. I picture Jesus in heaven getting up off his throne and going, I'm going back for him, God. This is too much. And God's like, son, hold. He like, no, I, I had plans for that. That was my idea. I was going to present it to everyone at the marriage supper of the lamb when we had our first meal together. I could not wait for that. And one of them took my idea. I'm going back. And God's like, hold, son, hold, Right? Like breakfast is just amazing. I, I bet some of you, like me and my family, do at least once a week. Some of you in here, you, it's so good you had breakfast for dinner. And next to nobody in here, I imagine, unless you're a single dude, had dinner for breakfast. Like that is how amazing breakfast is. And uh, the reason I'm talking about breakfast is because as we are in this uh, sermon series and we are going through the book of John, uh, I, I have been given some latitude by Pastor Jonathan to, he said, just preach whatever's on your heart. And so I decided I'm gonna go to my absolute favorite narrative in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to John chapter 21. Um, this is normally where the series would end, um, but I'm gonna go to the last part because to me, this just gives us such beautiful insight into the heart of Jesus, who we came here to worship today, who we serve. This is to me just the, 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 the height of Jesus's character and his love for you and I. So John chapter 21, we're gonna look at breakfast. But what's interesting about the gospels, and you'll see it all throughout John, is the gospels is full of what I call table narratives. The gospel, like me, loves to talk about moments that centered around food because it is one of the single most beautiful and important human experiences that when God created us, he gave us to share together. But what's interesting about my favorite uh, moment in all of the gospel of John is that it's about breakfast, but the greatest meal in the gospel of John in all four gospels that actually gets top billing is not a breakfast, it's actually a dinner, right? If you've been to church very long, we famously refer to this as the Last Supper. And it is a beautiful thing that happens, but I would argue it is not the most important meal of the gospel encounters. It should not get top billing, but it gets all of the art. What we're talking about doesn't. Uh, more sermons have been preached on this than the one I'm about to preach on than ever. But I think what we're gonna look at is the single most important meal. And here's why, when you really, and it's in John chapter 13, the Last Supper. So eventually you guys will get there. And it's beautiful because we have this thing that we're gonna participate in a few minutes called communion. That's where it got instituted, this sacrament that we have. 
Another beautiful thing in the Last Supper is Jesus before the meal does what no dignitary in the ancient world would have ever done. He takes off his outer garment and he gets on his hands and knees and he gets that washing basin. And instead of them washing his as their rabbi's feet, he teaches them a lesson and said, no, 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 no. Let me wash your feet. And then I want you to remember this moment. And I want you as disciples to go and do that for the rest of the world because the greatest among you is actually and ironically going to be my servant. So there are just some beautiful moments in the Last Supper. But if you really think about the Last Supper, do you know what it is packed with? Indictment. Like the Last Supper is before the cross. What we're going to talk about today is the first breakfast and that's post-resurrection. And we are going to see a completely different fill from Jesus. We are going to see the tenor completely change between these two meals because in the Last Supper, you got what? You got Judas, right? And Jesus, Jesus tips him off and says, hey, when I, when I dip my hand in this bowl and grab the bread, whoever I give that bread to is going to betray me. And everyone's like, not me. It's, you know, they're all looking around and Jesus is probably like, you know, knowing that it's going to be him. He hands it to Judas. So in this Last Supper, that's such a sacred meal, Jesus is indicting people. Like, no, 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 you're going you're gonna to betray me after following me for three and a half years. And then Peter gets cocky and be like, not me, man. I would give up everything. I will do anything for you. And Jesus goes, funny you mentioned that because before the rooster even crows tomorrow, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. Meanwhile, we got Thomas the doubter probably sitting on the edge of the table, still wondering if this Jesus thing's real after he's seen him walk on water open blind eyes, open deaf ears, raise people from the dead. Thomas was more privy to the supernatural, miraculous than all of us in this room combined will ever get privileged to be a part of. Like he got to see that and he's still sitting at the end of the table at this last supper doubting. And then you got two brothers who are full of ego and borderline narcissists named James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And in that meal, do you know what they start? This was literally the, the, the moment before Jesus was gonna be betrayed and go to the cross. You know what they're arguing about? After he washed their feet and gave them a lesson on it, they're arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And when I read the Last Supper, honestly, all I think about is the capabilities we as sometimes fallen, broken, sin-stained humans, what the capacity that we have, the, the duplicity that is inside all of us, the potential for hypocrisy that is on the inside of all of us. And so this meal is just full of indictment. And then we know a few, uh, a few hours or a little bit, a couple days later, Jesus is going to the cross. And this was how their last meal ended. And then he's buried. We know for three days he's in the tomb. And then the whole centerpiece and the crux of our faith, the reason we meet here is because three days into being in the tomb, he conquered death. He rose from the dead. And then they get a few weeks with Jesus before he would ascend into heaven. And this is one of the most beautiful moments. So again, we start in John chapter 21, verse one. This is what happens. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of T Tiberias. This is where Peter and James and John and Mark and Andrew would have actually met him the first time. This is where they used to be professional fishermen. 
This is their home court, to put it in sports terms. It's a full circle moment. They're back there again. And Jesus revealed himself in this way. It was Simon, the son, Simon Peter. It was Thomas called the twin. Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, listen to this. He said, man, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, hey, we'll, we'll go with you. Now, it's easy to just read that and go, yeah, these guys used to be professional fishermen before uh, they became disciples of Jesus, so it makes sense. Yeah, they're probably on holiday. It may have been Thanksgiving. Who knows? But they're going fishing. But what Peter's saying is so much deeper than what you just read when you hear him say, I'm going fishing, because here's what's happening. Peter hasn't seen Jesus except one time since he rose from the dead. And let me remind you, Okay, about the Apostle Peter's last 72 hours before he, Jesus ever went to the cross and died. In the last 72 hours, Jesus, on the darkest hour of his time on earth, invites Pete to go and pray with him. Could you imagine if the creator of the universe, the one we all came here to worship, asked you, he like entrusted you to come and pray with him in his most difficult moment on earth and said, hey, will you fight with me? Will you fight for me in prayer? So Peter, James, and John get invited and they're like, of course I'm gonna fight for you. And you know what Pete does during the whole prayer time? Right? Like he completely crashes. I've been there, I've done that. He falls asleep on him in his most vulnerable and important moment. And then he does what, I, I, I know you all are more spiritual than me, but what I've done so many times is he wakes up and he feels so much shame and embarrassment that he fell asleep on the job in Jesus's darkest hour that he, you ever done this in your faith? He tries to overcompensate by becoming a super Christian all of a sudden because he wakes up to Roman soldiers uh, arresting Jesus. And so he just gets out the sword and just starts swinging, right? And it's that famous moment where Pete cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers trying to arrest Jesus. And Jesus has to give Pete the look like, are you kidding me right now? Like, this isn't how we fight, bro. That's how the world fights. And Jesus famously picks up the ear and heals him and puts it back. It's like, how many times has Jesus, even when I do it with good intentions in my faith, make the biggest mistakes? It's like Jesus so graciously comes in and he says, no, no, I'll pick up your mess for you. So he's fallen asleep on the job. Then he wakes up and overcompensates, right? He tries to pay some penance by fighting off the soldiers. He gets that wrong too. And then at the height of this bad 72 hours, we know what happens. The most famous part of Peter's story, right? Is that he denies Jesus three times. The first time it's to a, a teenage Jewish girl in the marketplace where they're putting Jesus on trial. She looks at him and says, hey, I, I recognize that accent. Aren't you with Jesus? And even to a, a teenage girl, he's, he's afraid. And he denies that he's with Jesus. And then he does it three more times. This was the last 72 hours. So when Pete says, man, I'm going fishing, there's a lot behind that statement. You know what Pete's saying? Man, I, I'm done. I quit. This whole faith thing's too hard. This whole discipleship thing, it's too hard. There's, there's too much hypocrisy in me. There's too much duplicity in me. And I don't, again, I don't wanna speak for you. I'm just up here testifying about my own story. But do you know how many times, even 25 years now, into my walk with Jesus, where I still have that conversation going on in my head? Do you know how many times in the last 25 years that I have been genuinely trying to follow Jesus that I just had these, man, I'm going fishing moments? And I'm not proud of that. 
And I wish that wasn't a part of my story, but there has been uh, some profound moments of darkness in my walk with God where I was just so ashamed and frustrated with my inability to walk as a disciple as Jesus called me to, frustrated with my inability to exercise the gift of faith that I know Jesus has put by his Holy Spirit on the inside of every single one of us. So when he says, man, I'm going fishing, you know what he's doing? It's this thing in modern world we call escape. So let, let me, as we read this, let me ask you a first question today, the rhetorical question, just answer. What, what's your I'm going fishing temptation? What's your escapism from the difficulties of life? Because I have a hunch, even though I'm just talking and telling on myself today, I have a hunch I'm not alone in this room. Anybody listen online? In fact, I have a hunch just based on statistics, there's some people, you happen to walk into this room today and you're like, that's kind of actually where I'm at right now. I don't want to tell anyone. And I put my good old Christian mask on before I came into church. But if truth being told, this faith thing sometimes can be exhausting. Life, not just faith, can be exhausting. And I know that might sound sacrilegious or crazy. You mean faith's exhausting? Maybe not for you, but for some of us in this room, yeah, it's absolutely exhausting. Do you know why? Because you have to wrestle with this thing the Bible calls your flesh and your spirit. And those two things are at work in you at the exact same time all the time. We all have this internal voice and this internal critic like Peter would have had that said, I'm just not enough. Clearly, I can't be the disciple he can't call, called me to be. Clearly, I am not qualified to fish for men like Jesus told me I was gonna do the first time I met him on this lake. So you know what Pete does? He does what I've done before. He's like, I'm gonna go and do something I know I can get a win at. And you know what he's doing in this moment? He's trading the supernatural call of God on his life to go back to the natural call that he put on his own life. He's like, I'm going fishing. And here's what happens next. They went out, they got into the boat, and that night, listen to this, keep in mind, most of the guys on this boat in this story are professional fishermen. And what did they do? They caught nothing. And I don't believe in one aspect of this story that was a coincidence. Just as day was breaking, and I love this because you'll hear me and Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Lindsay, you'll hear us quote this verse all the time. I, I use it every other sermon here, right? His mercies are new, how often? There's just something, that's why breakfast is the best meal of the day. There's just something special about the morning, right? Like his mercies are brand new. The Bible says in Psalms 30, chapter, uh, chapter 30, verse five, though weeping endureth for a night, when does joy come? Joy comes in the morning. There's something about this cadence. Did you preach on the woman caught in adultery last week in John chapter eight? What's the first two words in that narrative, in that story? At dawn. Right, Like on the precipice of this woman caught in adultery, on the precipice of potentially her worst day ever where she might get stoned to death, at dawn, guess who comes on the scene with new mercies? Jesus. And instead of it being the worst day of her life, it turns out to be the line in the sand moment in her life where everything in her story would completely and fundamentally change. I love it. Just as day was breaking, when, when, when it's morning and Jesus is present, you should expect some beautiful things. You should look for and expect some new mercies. It says this, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, now listen to this. You think after what Judas did, Thomas, 
James and John, and especially after the denials of Peter, you don't think this would be the language choice Jesus would use, but what's he do here? I love this. This shows the heart of a resurrected God for his people, even in the midst of their failing, even in the midst of them wanting to give up, even in the midst of their attempts at escapism or to go back to the natural life when he called them to a supernatural life, he still says this about them because they have not forfeited this title. He says, children, because that is what we are. He says this, I love this. Do you have any fish? I hear some sarcasm in Jesus's voice. I, I can't prove it, I don't know that, but I know what he's up to here because the rule of thumb in the scriptures is when Jesus asks a question, it's never because he needs the answer to it. It's because you need to hear yourself given the answer to it. So it can awaken something in your soul. Do you have any fish, professional fisherman? And they give them the answer of shame. No, but thanks for asking whoever you are out there. Appreciate it. You can leave now. You know what Jesus is doing when he's asking that question? Hey, and, and I'll just personalize it to Pete or to, to myself. He's like, hey, Pete, how's that, how's that fishing for fish going when I called you to fish for people? How you doing there, professional fisherman? Peter had to be like, this, this was the Sea of Tiberias. This, this was their home court. There should never have been a 24-hour period when they went out working and fishing where they didn't even catch anything. But on this night, they caught nothing. And I wrote in my notes here, Jesus in his sovereign kindness and goodness will graciously stifle you running from him. He will graciously stifle you numbing through difficult seasons. He will graciously stifle you trying to play small to punish yourself for not being the purpose, uh, perfect Christian. Jesus in his kindness sometimes will not let things work even when you're giving all your sweat equity to those attempts simply because you are running from his call on your life. And this is what Peter's doing. He's playing small to punish himself. And so Jesus says, listen, I in my sovereign goodness am not gonna let you guys catch a thing because you have forgotten because you weren't perfect before I died for your perfection. You forgot that I am for you. So I'm gonna stifle your attempts at trying to fish so that we can get you back to the supernatural call of God on your life. So after this conversation, Jesus said to them, well, do this. This would have ticked them off. They still didn't know it was Jesus fully, by the way. This would have really ticked them off. He said to them, hey, then just cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Oh, thanks, sir, out there, whoever you are, because we didn't try that at all and we've only been fishing for the last two decades, but thank you for that. Like we haven't cast the net on the other side of the boat all night. But for some reason, they listened to his voice and they obeyed it and here's what happened. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. They went from no fish to hearing the voice of God, obeying the voice of God, and now the catch of fish couldn't even be hauled in because of how big it was. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, I love how he calls himself that, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. My translation, that's John going, that's gotta be Jesus if I've ever seen Jesus. Like we just went from nothing to a record-setting catch. It is the Lord. Now look at the heart of Pete. Because what I want some of you to see is if some of you came in here and you are weary and doing well, and I have a hunch that's some of you right now, just fatigued, maybe it's in relationships, fatigued in your marriage, fatigued in parenting, 
You're fatigued with work. You're f- fatigued with our, our nation sometimes and the, all the chaos and the, the political landscape and the financial situations and economic difficulties. And I'm in California right now, so gas prices. I mean, there's so many things like that, that are worthy of us just being done with life. But look at the heart of Peter. When, he, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he does something really interesting. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and then threw himself into the sea. Who gets dressed to jump into the sea, right? But this is interesting in the Hebrew culture. You need to understand what's happening here because it shows us the true heart of Peter. Under the debris of all of Peter's mistakes that he made before Jesus went to the cross, under the debris of all of Peter's failures and his denials, you could see his real heart coming out because when, when he would have put on that outer garment to jump into the water, that was a sign of complete and total reverence and respect for not only his rabbi, but his Lord and his savior. Because you would never approach a dignitary in that ancient culture without being fully dressed. So to get in the water and get soaked He puts on his garment. This is showing us the heart of who Peter really is. And the reason I wanna highlight that is because I have a hunch for those of you who are going through it right now, some of you may be be hanging on your your faith just barely. I, I have a feeling that God sees you the way he sees Peter. Buried under all the rubble of your mistakes, your your failures things that make you feel shame, things that make you feel guilty, things that sometimes make you feel condemned. I have a hunch you're here today because you just love Jesus. It's not your love for Jesus that's the problem. It's our human inability to follow him in the way that we desire to follow him. But the good news of the scriptures and of God's word and the life of Christ is that even in the midst of you wanting to give up or play small or run or go fishing or numb, Jesus says this to us in Hebrews chapter four. We now have a high priest after the death of Jesus. This is the word of God. It says we now have a high priest who is not unable to empathize with our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted yet was without sin. It says, therefore now we get to what? We get to approach the throne of grace. The throne of what? Grace with confidence to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. This is what Pete's doing. For everything he got wrong, he got the most important thing right, which is this. Because our identity and because our righteousness isn't in how awesome we are with Jesus every day, but it's how perfect he's been with us on the cross, even at the height of your denials, even at the height of wanting to quit, even at the height of wanting to give up or just escape from reality, Jesus says the best thing you can do is just know this, you have all of the right and the permission as my child, not because of any good or bad you've done, but because you are my child, because you by faith have received the saving work of Jesus, you have all of the permission in the world from me to not only come to the throne of grace, but sprint to the throne of grace and to do it with confidence to receive mercy in your time of need because his mercies are brand new every single morning. So he comes to to Jesus and I I skipped this part in the scriptures, but it says that the the rest of the disciples followed him because they had a record setting catch. I love it. John actually mentions that they caught a hundred, that had to be like a, a Sea of Tiberias record and dudes got so much ego. We always have to talk about records and stuff like that. They literally mentioned the amount of fish that were caught. 
And when they finally drug all those fish in, Jesus said, hey, give me a, a, a few of those fish. And do you know what Jesus does? It is so beautiful in this moment. You know what Jesus does? He says, give me some of those fish. And then the creator of the world, to a doubter, to a denier, to a couple of brothers that are super egotistical and potentially narcissistic, always arguing about who's gonna be the greatest, always jockeying for position in the midst of all of their failures, in the midst of everything that's still not perfectly okay with them. Jesus, because of the resurrection, shows us the difference between the last supper that was full of indictment and now you get to the last breakfast and it is full of mercy. Why? Because the work is finished. The, the blood has been shed. The resurrection has taken place. And so now instead of indictment at the meal, this is why I call it the best meal in the history of the world, it's Jesus doing the most kind, gracious, and disarming thing he could have possibly done for them. And when he's doing it for them, make no mistake about it, Hills Church, he has the same kindness and graciousness to you. He cooks them breakfast. He takes some of those fish, he gets some of that bread, and he puts it on the fire, puts it on the barbie, and he just has this disarming, beautiful moment with them, and then the moment happens, and we'll end with this part of it. The moment happens where he says, hey, Pete, can I talk to you for a minute? And this is where Pete would have been like, oh boy, I knew it was coming. Whew, I knew I'm in trouble, so guys, I'll be back. Pray for me, please. Like, please pray for me. This is not gonna go good, because he remembered what his last 72 hours with Jesus was before the cross. And they haven't had any confrontation from that yet. They haven't debriefed from that yet. This is about to be their debrief. And if you haven't heard the heart of Christ in this story yet, please listen to this. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Here's Pete's answer. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. Get back at it. Get back in the game. You qualify. You're good. I just need you to know that you love me. I know that you love me already, but I need you to hear it coming out of your mouth that yes, you love me despite the failures, despite the denials, despite falling asleep when I needed you the most, despite cutting off that soldier's ear within a 72 hour period, despite all of that at the core of who you are, do you love me? And he says, absolutely. He says, then let's get back to fishing for men. Like, let's get back to the supernatural living. Let's be confident about it. Let's be intentional about it. No more playing small, no more escapism, no more numbing. Look, fish for fish on your day off. There's nothing, that's great, what a great sport. Fish for fish on your day off, but the other days, you're our apostle. You're gonna be the first lead pastor of the Christian church ever. Let's get back to it. Simon, son of John, he asked him a third time, do you love me? And it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Pete said to him, and I love this, Lord, you know everything. He calls him Lord. He doesn't call him rabbi. He doesn't call him good teacher. He says what? No, you're Lord. You're in charge. You're sovereign over all. And then he says some good theology here. You know everything. You know that I love you. Why do you keep asking this? And Jesus said to him a third time, then feed my sheep. You know what's happening here? We know this. If you've heard this story ever before, it's, it's no coincidence. Jesus asked him the same question three times. He's not trying to be ornery. He's not trying to mess with him. You know what he's doing? He's doing what Romans chapter 12 calls renewing your mind. 
He's saying, you have just been through it. And I know you're tired and I know you're frustrated and I know this faith thing as beautiful and right as it is can be very difficult and challenging sometimes. I can hear Jesus going, look, there's an enemy. Remember in John 10, 10? We'll get there in a couple weeks. Sorry, I don't wanna steal your thunder, but I'm going to. In John 10, 10, right, he says, there's an enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you. But I've come that you would have life and life more abundantly. Jesus is going, listen, I don't ever endorse sin. I hate sin because it caused me to have to get off my throne and come into this world and get up on a cross and in the most shameful, scornful ways, pay for the righteousness of humanity to be restored. So I will never endorse sin, Jesus would say, but here's what I do. I do understand what it's like to be tempted in every way that any one of us in this room has ever been tempted. Yet, because you couldn't be without sin, I came into the world to be tempted in every way you are, yet was without sin so that my sacrifice would be once and it would be for all and it would be perfect. And so now your system of faith isn't executing everything awesome, isn't always having everything go amazing through the holidays, isn't always having every relationship in order, isn't always having an abundance of money in the bank. It's not always having your kids acting perfect or your marriage being so vibrant and awesome all the time. No, there's gonna be seasons where those things are challenged. There's an enemy of your soul that wants to kill and destroy those foundational things in your life. So when you're going through that, A, don't be surprised, but number two, know this, I'm never surprised at what you're going through. I've written every Every day of your life in my book. There's not one day you're ever going to live or one difficult season you're ever going to walk through Hills Church that, that surprises the sovereign God. He knows everything. And what's so beautiful about this moment is at the height of one of the most, I would say the most difficult season of Peter's life, Jesus has this beautiful, kind, gracious breakfast and then he pulls him aside and says I just need to know one thing do you love me and Pete says of course three times and Jesus says well then keep living life don't give up don't grow weary don't, don't, don't beat yourself up one more second don't punish yourself one more second for what just happened before I went to the cross because if Isaiah got it right it's the punishment right Say this before communion so we can sit under the beauty of it. It's the punishment that brought us peace that was put upon Jesus. What horrible stewardship of our minds and our hearts to punish ourselves when we are not in the best spiritual season or a season at all of lives when Jesus has already been punished for us in our place so that punishment would no longer have to be a thing. Look, if punishment worked, it would be a tool in the tool belt of Jesus's arsenal. But he doesn't come to punish humanity. He comes to save humanity. Yes, we serve a God who in his kindness will discipline us at times. Let us walk through some difficult things so that we can come out stronger and better on the other end. But it's never about salvation. It's about growth and discipleship. I simply uh, wanted to tell this story today because I know some of you, and in fact, maybe most of you, this is, this is a dangerous subject to talk about because I think the majority of you in here would say, look, life's not perfect, but my faith is strong right now. So why would you talk to us about this today, Chad? Can I just say, if your faith is really like robust and strong right now, praise God, keep going. Don't apologize for that. Keep working that faith muscle out. 
Like, praise God that you're in such a great place with your faith right now. But what I've learned over 20 years of being a pastor is every weekend that we meet, there are people walking through our doors that are on the brink of something. People that are incredibly depressed and in their depression, they feel so unworthy to be in the presence of God. And if that's you, I just came to remind you as someone who has had a lifelong battle with depression that you are worthy because Jesus's work on the cross calls you worthy, period. And if you simply love Jesus, that's what he's asking. He says, you still qualify even in the midst of your mental health struggle, even in the midst of your anxiety, even in the midst of the divorce, even in the midst of all of the drama that comes life way, even in the midst, hear, hear me when I say this, even in the midst of those of you who walk in here and you are currently wrestling with and struggling with and battling this nasty thing called addiction, if you simply have put your faith in Jesus, you are as much a son or as much of a daughter as the most spiritual and righteous person in this room right now. You understand that? God is not looking at us one by one to judge our righteousness. He's looking at his son on the cross. When we stand in heaven someday, our only merit before God is going to be to point at Jesus and to point away from ourselves and go, please don't look at me, look at him. And when God sees him, he sees sons and daughters that are restored, that are holy, that are perfect, that are blameless, that are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Not my words, I'm just quoting the book of first, of, uh, Ephesians chapter one right now. This is who you are because he said it's who you are and he finished the work for you. So I guess if you're in here, I would wrap up by saying this to every one of us in here today. Just a simple question and you can answer it out loud. In fact, let's, let's, let's participate today. If you genuinely say your answer is yes, then let's say it out loud together. I'm gonna ask us three times. Hills Church, do you love Jesus? Get after it. Go feed a sheep. Go make a difference in your world, your marketplace, your schools, your homes, your community, at church. Go feed a sheep. Do it not with ever any arrogance, but do it with a confidence, not in yourself, but that in I have been called to a supernatural life. I have been given everything. Peter would go on in his sage years to write this. You have been given everything you need for life and for godliness. He has given you everything. And the only qualifying factor is simply this. And I'll ask you a second time, Hills Church. Do you love Jesus? Then feed his sheep. No more playing small to punish yourself. No more of this back and down. Do not let your heart and do not let your mind go there. Do what he did with, with Pete. You renew your mind until your mind changes. You get into the word of God until your mind changes. I cannot tell you how many times I have wanted to quit in my walk with God and it was never because I quit loving him. It was always because I couldn't find a way to love myself enough to keep in the game. And Jesus, I love this, the, the, the old preachers that I look up to, they're all dead now. And I've read all of their sermons and their books, guys like uh, Charles Spurgeon and Dwight Moody. They used to use this phrase we need to bring back more in the church. They used to call Jesus the hound of heaven. And that sounds intimidating or weird, but it's, they were saying, no, 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 no. We serve a God who, when you try and escape and you try and run and you try and play small, he will hunt you down like a hound dog, y'all. That's my best Southern boy. So I'm I've been in Atlanta, so I got it. He will hunt you down like a hound dog. But here's the cool thing, and we get it proven to us in this story. He will not hunt you down to beat you over the head. He will hunt you down to call you back home every single time. 
It is his throne of grace and it is for you. Don't you dare walk out of these doors this weekend and keep playing small in any way. Don't you dare walk out of these doors and accept anything except that you are the righteousness of God. You have been cloaked and robed in his garment of righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. And that doesn't go up and down. That promise doesn't go up and down on a daily basis depending on behavior. Thank God. It is just who you are and it is complete in Jesus Christ. I gotta wrap up. We gotta take communion. I would be a fool though to think that everybody in this room has put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Anyone in here online in the sound of my voice with every head bowed out of respect and eyes closed, I just wanna ask a question. If you have never received the saving work of Jesus Christ, can I just share a little of my own story? I did it some 25, 26 years ago. And my life, I can tell you, is so far from perfect, but I can tell you with total integrity and without blinking an eye that my life has changed so much for the better because of putting my faith in the one who we believe here at Hills Church is the creator of the universe and the savior of the world. And I wanna invite you, I love, what I love about Jesus is he never berated people into following him. He never manipulated anyone into following him. He never uh, used fear as a tactic to get people to follow him. Jesus just beautifully looked people in the eyes and would invite them to come follow him. And the masses just started to follow him because they saw how trustworthy he is. If you saw anything in this story about Jesus that we read where your heart's going, man, I think he's trustworthy. Can I just tell you as one believer, and there's so many believers at this room that would amen what I'm saying, there is nobody on planet earth, not one relationship you will ever be in that carries the trustworthiness and the kindness and the goodness that God has for you. It is the kindness kindness of God, Paul says in Romans, that leads you to change, that leads you to repentance. So if you're in here right now and you say, Chad, I don't know what it is. I don't understand all this completely, but there's something tugging at my heart to put my faith in the name of Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? I want to talk to you for a minute. Be proud. I mean, you're, you're in a room full of people that have already done this. If that's you, just keep your hand up. Just want to see. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. This is literally the best moment I ever had in my life and it will be the same for you. Thank you. Can we pray for them, Hills Church? God, I pray right now, your word says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the people that put their hands up today, I just pray as they're calling on your name that salvation is taking place. The word of God says that they are currently being filled by you and your Holy Spirit. And I say, thank you for that, God. I'm asking that you would give them a community of people and believers that will help them on this journey of faith the same way I had those people in my own walk with you, God. I pray that Hills Church would be a, a light to them and a hope to them and a help to them. But more than anything, Jesus, just fill them right now with your Holy Spirit. God, testify to their heart the reality of the decision that they have just made. And for everybody else that's already long made that decision but walked in here today just kind of hanging on, maybe doing some numbing, maybe doing some escaping, maybe tempted to run away from some things in life that really matter, I pray today would be a day of reinstallation, a day of re-upping on the fact that they qualify to walk out of these doors and play big for your glory, play big for your kingdom. Jesus, all this we pray, we pray in your name. Amen. I love you guys so much, Hills Church. Until, until next time.
Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.